We, we've been together a long time, huh? You know, some people, when you think about them, you just smile. Amen. Because they've been so good to you down through the years. If you got a friend, you ought to cherish that today. That's right. You ought to cherish it today. So I'm thanking God for him and for his lovely wife, Barbara. Amen. Amen. Give God the praise for his lovely wife. That's right. And his children who, now they still his children. They grown. She grown. <laughs> but that's still their child. Natasha, we thank God for her and for Ethan. Praise the Lord. Amen. And to all the people of God who gather here in this great place, this great preaching station, under this great preaching man, I, I certainly count an honor and privilege to be here on tonight. So many people could have been here. Dr. Murphy knows preachers all over the world. But he asked me to come on this Friday night, and so I'm grateful that the Lord allowed me to be here on the 27th of October in the year of our Lord. I bring you greetings from the Zion Baptist Church of Eastland Gardens in the nation's capital. And anytime I get an opportunity to go anywhere, I'm just thankful that the Lord thought of not crime nor robbery to allow me to come through the mountains to make it here on tonight. You know, every time, it's just by the grace of God, um, I was blocked in traffic for about 50 minutes, you know, Route 15, just trying to get here, just sitting there. But I thought about something. I could have been the person in the accident. Yeah, somebody was hit from the back. The car was smashed. And uh, you just never know. It's by the grace of God that we made it here on tonight. And so we all have to be thankful. If you got in your car today and you made it here, I don't think anybody walked around the corner to come, but if you did, amen, God is still good. Yeah, God is still good. And so I'm, I'm not going to hold you long tonight. I'm going to do what I was asked to do, and that is to preach the word of God. So I'm going to do that to the best of my ability and just ask the Lord to do what God does best. Amen. And that's to look after his children. Amen. And so we're going to, we're going to do just that. I want to look at a text found in Luke's gospel, chapter 13, uh, verses 1 through 5. Yeah, that's Luke's gospel. On this revival night, Luke's gospel, chapter number 13. Amen. Beginning at verse number 1 through 5. I'm, I'm using the King James Version. And here is a reading of the word of God. There were present at that season some that told him of the Galileans whose blood Pilate had mingled with their sacrifices. And Jesus answering said unto them, Suppose ye that these Galileans were sinners above all the Galileans because they suffered such things. I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Or those 18 upon whom the tower in Siloam fell and slew them, think ye that they were sinners above all men that dwelt in Jerusalem? I tell you nay, but except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. A reading of the word of God. You may be seated. 
this evening, I want to talk briefly, if you don't mind, making the best out of a bad situation. Yeah, making the best out of a bad situation. Our Father and our God, we come once again as your servant. We come as participants. We come to preach as you have so directed that men and women will know everywhere that you God by yourself. Now use this body, this vessel, and let me in your own way represent you that the word of God would go forth with power and with might and that men and women, boys and girls everywhere will know that you get all the credit. It's in Jesus' name that we pray and ask it all. Amen. Making the best out of a bad situation. I knew the patient. She was beautiful and stately. She was appropriate, progressive, positive, liberating, but she had been sick for a long time. Those who knew her would tell you that she would give the shirt off her back. Those who loved her knew that she had a captivating personality, and everybody who knew her loved her. When she got news of the illness, they told her that she didn't have long to live if she did not change. And eventually she did. The fire on the inside had begun to burn once again. That story is a story about the church. Been sick for a long time. church, that energizing spiritual fire that forces men and women to make a decision about right and wrong. The church, the more it seems we do the right thing, looks like wrong has become right. The more right you are, the more wrong you are. There is, I heard, an alternative truth. I just know one truth. Yeah, ye shall know the truth and the truth shall set you free. The church, you can work hard and reach the pinnacle of your career in America and still be called an SOB, Lord have mercy. You can be a multimillionaire and have homes all across the world and then the president of the country have the nerve to tell you that you are other than what your mother called you. You can follow the laws, pay your taxes, be in good moral standing, serve your country with distinction and go to war and come back and be shot down in Washington, D.C. A man can give up his career playing football and joins the military and he gets killed by what they call friendly fire. That just means his own forces shot him. They make words sound good, but the results are the same. How can we make things good in a bad situation? Democrats and Republicans, I don't want to make nobody mad, but since I'm the prophet to come to tell the world and call them to repentance, there's enough shame and enough blame, whether you Democrats or Republican. I just know that people are not being fed tonight. That's what I do know. I don't care where you come from. There are people who are homeless tonight. I don't care how much money you have. There are some persons, according to the hand of God, who are in some very difficult situations. And the real issue is how do we make things 
things happen in the midst of a bad situation. Yeah, there will be those who question my patriotism. Just because I love being black, I can't help it. That's the way God created me. I can't help that he thought robbery nor crime, that he would let the sun shine on me and create this beautiful bronze. I'm not mad with nobody. I'm not hating on nobody. I'm just saying this is the hand that the Lord gave me and somebody gonna be mad just because I say I got a right to say what I want to say, not because it's a constitutional right, but because it's a human right that God has given us articulation in our tongue to say something about a dying world who ought to know a resurrected Savior. It's tough. Yeah. Loving the way God has created you. Somebody mad with you because perhaps you're not black enough. Or maybe somebody mad with you because you haven't said anything about black lives matter even though black lives do matter every life matters but just because i'm black don't mean i'm anti anything it just means that listen here i see black boys dying every single day and it's not a national emergency yeah there's a vicious renaissance rise in its ugly head in America. Y'all gonna have to give me a few minutes tonight. I had a whole lot of time to think while I was on the road. <laughs> Amen. Yeah. There's a vicious renaissance. Yeah. I thought that discriminatory activity was dormant for some time. That's the way it looked like. But it looks as though, yeah, somebody has risen up that yeah, they don't, they don't, they don't know nothing about Joseph. They, yeah, there, there are some people now who have have risen up that don't care anything about civil rights and human rights. There are some people who have risen up now. Don't care too much about anybody but themselves. Yeah, we 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 went from full employment and 250 years of slavery. We were fully employed then, but we can barely find a job now. I'm gonna make somebody mad in a minute. Y'all stick with me. Uh, there's a new family out here. Yeah, this proliferation of gangs. Yeah, that's the new family now. Yeah, young boys, young girls, girls joining gangs as quick as boys joining gangs. Something has happened to our family unit. Yeah, yeah. How do we make the best out of a bad? bad situation. We're running into a time when men don't want to be men. They won't work. I don't understand that kind of thinking. I, I don't understand how a man is not willing to work. I don't understand how a man won't take care of his children. I don't care what he says. I don't understand how a man won't go to work, at least try to find a job. I don't understand. Yeah. Too many of us will not obey our parents. I recognize and I appreciate old school folks. Yeah, they, many of them didn't have a chance to go to school. Many of them didn't have an opportunity to go to Howard or Harvard. Didn't have a chance to go to Morehouse or no house at all. But what I do know is every day I leave my house, 
One in three black men will be in prison at some point in his life. One million people are behind bars. Seven million people are either paroled or jailed or on probation. And you want to ask me, how does it look? It looks bad. But the real issue is, is how can I do something meaningful even though the situation looks bad? We work hard. We, we tell ourselves we play hard. And we won't play hard for the church, though. We can't get folks to give 40 and 50 hours for... Uh, what we need to do for the Lord, but we'll give overtime to our corporate sponsors. We don't mind going in on Saturdays doing something special because we're going to get paid for it. It might be compensatory time. You just get some additional time and just might be more money because you will do it because you want to get paid. But where I come from, when you think about what the Lord has done for you, God gives uh, 168 hours in the week and then some Somebody has the nerve to tell me that they don't have two hours on a Sunday to give to God. They don't have an hour to come to Bible study. They don't have an hour, but they can go to happy hour early on a Friday. But I'm so glad that somebody doesn't mind giving God the praise. It might look bad now, but how do we make something meaningful even though it looks bad? This, this, this story, this story, this story embedded in Luke's 13th chapter. You, you do know Luke the physician. Luke recognizes that there is a problem in Jerusalem. Luke recognizes that there are some issues going on in the community that has to be dealt with. And as God would have it, God allows Luke to record this story about what happened in Galilee and what happened at the Tower of Siloam. You know, the Bible deals specifically, it allows us to understand that God is interested in every situation that we find ourselves. And every now and then, every man, every woman has to take stock of themselves. You have to ask the question, where you've been and where you're going. You have to ask yourself, what's your goals and how are you going to get there? Well, in this story, what we find out is, is that there came the time when the Bible says that there were those who were present at a season when Jesus was told about the Galileans and that Pilate had mixed their blood in the sacrifices. Well, the thing about it is, is what we have to keep our mind focused on in this pericope is that there's a season for everything. And it doesn't matter what kind of situation you find yourself. Sometimes in life, you discover that you're in a very tight spot. You don't know, you don't know even how you got there, but you're in a tight spot. You don't have enough money to pay for your liabilities. You don't have enough money to pay your mortgage. You don't have enough money to eat all the food. You don't have enough money with gasoline getting back and forth. You don't have enough money because not only did the roof fall off, but not only did the air condition go out but you're looking at a situation where you simply do not have enough money to pay everybody you know and everybody you owe but the thing that you do know is that God is never without a witness that God will make a way somehow you want to know how you can make it through a bad situation well the Bible describes it right here what is happening you live in a season sometimes of plenty and Sometimes you live in a season of famine. And the issue is, is what season are you living in in these times? I don't know if you know. But when you look at the text very carefully, it appears, it appears. It appears that Pilate is mixing the sacrifices of religiosity of Rome with the Hebrews. 
Yeah, that's what it looks like on the outset. But when you really look at the story, the really issue, the real issue is, is that there were some people who came to let Jesus know that a mass murder had taken place in Galilee 20 years hence. Yeah, 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 yeah. I believe that these were the children of the people who had died. Yeah, yeah, they, 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 they. They had to hold it on the inside for, for 20 years. You see, Pilate was not going to report that there was a mass murder of Galileans because there was a contempt for Galileans. Yeah, yeah, there was a contempt, there was a hatred, there was a jealousy for the Galileans. And you have to keep in mind that the Roman government had imposed themselves on the Hebrews. In other words, it was colonialism in its clearest manifestation. Rome was in charge and the subject people were the children of Israel. It was those who lived in Jerusalem. Yeah, and so you wonder, why didn't they tell somebody? Yeah, because the reason why they didn't tell nobody is because they didn't have nobody to tell. Yeah, they couldn't go to Pontius Pilate because Pontius Pilate was the one who orchestrated the deaths. And the reason why sometimes we don't say nothing because it appears that there are some people who live in the government apparatus who don't want to hear our story. We've been dying for a long time. We've been dying. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And the reason we've been dying, part of it has to do with the fact that in this season, this is a season of lawlessness. Now, you have to see this thing spiritually. I know some people out here, maybe you voted for Trump. Maybe you voted for Hillary Clinton. It really doesn't matter. But the fact of the matter is God can determine he's going to break the back of the country because the country won't do right. Yeah, yeah, you got folk who putting their faith in politicians, putting their faith in Hillary Clinton, Bill Clinton, putting their faith in Mr. Bush. You better put your faith in God. This is a season of lawlessness because what happened was is that Pontius Pilate orchestrated a massacre while they were involved in preparing for Roman sacrifice. And that's what they mean about the mixing of the blood. They killed everybody. Yeah, it reminds me of what happened in Florida in Rosewood in 19 and 23 they destroyed the whole town. Yeah. Nine folks, survivors, got $150,000. Those who survived. Yeah, we can't get 40 acres in a mule. But I'm here to tell you what in the world do you do? And how do you make it better in a bad situation? You might find because of the season of lawlessness, somebody has to tell the story. God is never without a witness, and even the children have to tell the story. If we can't tell the children to tell the story. And here they were. They came to Jesus. Mothers and fathers came to Jesus. They whispered to Jesus, Jesus. There was a massacre that, take, that took place. I wondered... When they told the story, the Hebrews had reached a point in their life. We got to learn how to tell the hard stories. We like to tell the easy stories. Sometimes you got to tell folk, listen here, I was abused when I was a child. Uh. Yeah, folks are coming forth now. Harvey Weinstein. Yeah, somebody has to tell the story. Sometimes it's a hard story. Sometimes you, in between a rock and a hard place, the girl, she's a good girl, but she needed some money. She was homeless, and she did something. She know what her mama told her not to do, but she was in between a rock and a hard place. But somebody, somebody has to tell it. 
Somebody has to tell the story in order that we might move forward. Somebody has to be courageous enough. And the thing about the text is, it's not just one person has to stand up. Yeah, yeah, we need a multiplicity of people to stand up and tell what the Lord has done for them. If you've been in a situation before and the Lord has allowed you to live, you ought to be able to thank God. You've been in some situations before, you ain't even been able to tell your mama after 30 years. You ought to be able to give God the praise if you clothed in your right mind. You almost were homeless. You told mama you were leaving home at 18, thought you were grown, but you wasn't grown enough. You ran into some problems and yet God has still blessed you and nobody knows but you. Yes. Well, don't you get alarmed about mass murder. Yeah, it happened, as I said, January 1, New Year's Day, 19 and 23 in Rosewood, outside the city of Gainesville, not too far. It happened on September 11, 2001, it was a mass murder. There were some people out here who don't mind driving planes. I'm telling you, when you in between a rock and a hard place. Hmm. Yeah, that young boy, 23 years old at Virginia Tech, I'm telling you, there's some things happening in our neighborhoods and our communities where people are involved in mass murder. It's not the first time. Just remember when Jesus was born, there was the slaughter of innocents. And not just when Jesus was born, but when Moses was born, they told the Hebrew midwives, kill every boy two years old and less. Yeah, but Moses' mama, thank God for mothers. I'm not going to let you kill my boy. I'd rather put him on the river and trust God that he's going to make a way for my boy somehow. Somebody in here knows about that. Every time you send your boy outside, every time you send your girl outside, don't you know you got to be praying for your child? Every time your husband go out, every time you go to the gasoline station, it wasn't but 15 years ago I was doing a shuffle dance right there on, in Falls Church when John Mohammed was out here shooting folk. I'm trying to get gasoline but I'm trying to duck behind the car because I don't want to get shot and when I think about the goodness of Jesus and everything he's done for me my soul but the Bible lets us know that every now and then God allows permits a massacre. That thing hurts. It's shameful. But when you look at what Luke is trying to tell us, they were reporting the crime. They were reporting the murder. And no one was arrested. Hmm. Yes. Uh, Tavon Martin to tell you, I'm just trying to go to the store and get back home. Shot down in his own neighborhood. I don't know about you, but the thing about it is, is there's a lot of graves out here that we're unfamiliar with. There are a lot of people who are part of the walking dead. If he wasn't massacred, if he wasn't shot physically, he's already shot in his brain. Part of the walking dead. We wonder why these young men won't do. They part of the walking dead. But look at this story. It was at that season. They came to tell Jesus, and I've come to suggest that if you want to make your situation better and you're in between a rock and a hard place, the first person you need to tell, tell it to Jesus. I wonder if I can get a witness in the house. You've been somewhere before. Don't you know that Jesus will answer your petitions and your cries? Don't you know that Jesus, don't you know Jesus can be everywhere all at the same time? 
Don't you know that Jesus will never leave you alone? Jesus will never forsake you. Jesus will never give up on you. Jesus is a rock. Jesus is a way maker. Jesus can make it happen. Jesus is your way in. Jesus is your way over. Jesus can do it. I wonder if I can get a witness in the house when you think about Jesus. It ought to make you shout when you think about Jesus. It ought to make you want to do something when you think about Jesus. You ought to say glory when you think about Jesus. Now somebody, somebody might criticize the people who told Jesus. You know, there's a strange thinking depending upon where you come from, where you live, what your environment is, because somebody just might say that the people who are telling the story, they snitches. They informants. Well, if you don't want me to tell Jesus, then don't tell me. I'm going to tell it. There's, there's another issue here. There's a theological issue here. There's a serious spiritual issue here, and you're wondering, what is that issue? I'm glad that you're raising the question. The issue is, is whether or not my suffering, depending upon my level of suffering, does God provide retribution based upon my level of suffering? In other words, does it mean that God going to get me worse because I haven't crossed every T and dotted every I? Does it mean that God is going to do something to me worse than the person who's a murderer? The drunk, the addict, the prostitute. Does it mean that God is going to deal with me more harsh because of my level of suffering? Yeah. The Galileans, yeah, when you look at since it's the only time we hear this story. And the Galileans were held in contempt. In fact, the word Galilean was the kind of word that the Romans looked at with contempt. Yeah, can anything good come out of Galilee? Is there such a thing as divine retribution for the love of suffering? I have come to discover that the Bible says it rains on the just and the unjust. Doesn't matter how much money you have, God going to catch up with you. Doesn't matter whether you're homeless or not, God will catch up with you and me. Doesn't matter how you dress, doesn't matter what school you went to, the issue here is does God have a retribution strategy because of our suffering? Well, I don't believe so. You see, because the people who are really asking the question and stating the claim about the massacre. They really not into Jesus. There are some people who might be concerned about a murder, but they not really concerned about yours. There are some people out here who are concerned about everybody else's children, but they not concerned about ours. Why did it take so long to call for an opioid crisis? And we've been dying all along. Heroin, been, we've been dying all along. Why not make that a national emergency? 
He said it was a health emergency. But when you make it a health emergency, it means you don't have to release federal funds. We pay taxes, release the federal funds. But there's, there's a problem. Yeah, there, there's, there's a problem because we too are seen with contempt. Sometimes folks look at you crazy. You know what that look is. You know what they mean by that. And all we can do is ask the Lord to speak to them. What to do when you're between a rock and a hard place? Listen, I shall not hold you long. See, the other part of the story is it was a cover-up. And that's why Jesus only tells it just one time. It's to make us remember it. But it was a cover-up. Yeah. The victim couldn't publicize his story. He couldn't get it into the Jerusalem Post. Yeah, he couldn't get it on Facebook, Instagram. It was a cover-up. Pontius Pilate, we know who, what he's about. Why tell the story when they control the organs of communications? Now, there were those who believe that the people who were killed... These Galileans were the followers of Judas, a man by the name Judas of Galilee, who 20 years earlier had taught that the Jews should revolt from paying taxes to Rome. Yeah, and that's the reason why Pontius Pilate killed them. Yeah, because they wouldn't pay their taxes. Here's what the Bible says about that. The Bible says, give unto Caesar that which belongs to Caesar, but give unto God that which belongs to God. Now, don't get that twisted. That don't mean you give more to Caesar than you do to God. And it doesn't mean that God and Caesar are equal. God is just saying, give what you should give to Caesar. But you better show enough give to God what belongs to God. See, what we got to be concerned about is not divine retribution. We got to be concerned about divine judgment. Yeah. But perhaps this doesn't bother you. Perhaps making a difference, a meaningful difference, perhaps this is not part of your bailiwick. But what I do want to suggest to you tonight is that this story of the massacre in Galilee. This is a story about the Tower of Siloam where 18 men died. This is a story about how to deal with calamity and trial and trouble. We've had some bad weather in the past few months. We've seen it in Houston. We've seen it in Florida. We've seen it in Puerto Rico. 34% of the people in Puerto Rico still without electricity. There are some people still in Houston who are suffering. There are some folks in Mississippi who are still suffering. There are some people in California who are still suffering. And so I stopped by to tell somebody that even though you might find yourself in trouble, just hold to God's unchanging hand. There's going to be some trials. There's going to be some deaths. There's going to be some trouble. And all I'm trying to tell you, there's a season for everything. This just might be your season of famine, your season of scarcity, your season of trouble. But I've discovered that God is not without a witness that wherever you go, whatever you do, 
God always has somebody who's going to speak up on his behalf. And I don't know about you, but if you've ever been in trouble before, if you ever had health issues before, if you ever been in a situation where the doctors did not know what they were going to do, and you're still alive to tell somebody that I went to the doctor, but God has a plan. God will make a way for you. I was just. I was just at the dentist this morning. I want to tell you how God has fixed this thing. I went in to get a filling. And when I got there, my jaw had been aching for some time. And the dentist said, well, what we'll do is put the filling in. And when I start the surgical procedure on your tooth, I'll see whether or not the nerve has been infected. And so when they open my mouth, I'm not used to four different fingers in my mouth at the same time. I went in at 11 o'clock this morning. And... Uh, the doctor said, well, Mr. Kitchen, I tell you what you can do. You can either have a root canal. It's a much more in-depth procedure. He said, now, if you have a root canal, we're going to have to send you to a specialist. It can't be done today. We can't get you in quick enough. Well, in the meantime, he had put something in my gum. It anesthetized me. It was a, what they call a local anesthesia. I couldn't feel anything where the tooth was located. But he said, well, if you don't want the root canal, then perhaps you want to have an extraction. I said, well... When could I get the extraction? He said, well, I tell you what, you come back at 2 o'clock today and we'll take the tooth out. But are you sure you want the tooth out? I said, well, my jaw is hurting me. I've been down this road a long time and I need to make sure that I feel better. I don't know what to do but to call on God. Because I'm in between a rock and a hard place. I don't have two more weeks to wait before a procedure. And I don't really want to lose the tooth that I have because God is not in the business of replacing a tooth. I won't belabor the point. But they gave me a feeling just in order to take the feeling out because they were going to extract the whole tooth. And at 2 o'clock, I sat in the chair, and I asked the dental hygienist, how long will the procedure last? She said, well, depending upon your situation, it might take a little while. They might have to cut the tooth in two. The doctor might have to call somebody else. She never told me how long it was going to take. I said, well, ma'am, that's all right. I want you to take the tooth out anyhow because I'm in a bad situation. I'm trying to make a good situation out of a bad situation. I didn't know what to do, but when Dr. Martin came in there, he said, well... Do you want to get your tooth extracted? I just want to make sure. And so they began to work on my tooth. He stopped pushing it one way. He said, I'm going to feel some pressure. I said, that's all right. I know somebody who can handle the pressure. But he kept on tugging at it. I looked at my watch. It's about 315. Then he said, well, Pastor Kitchen, I heard 
heard this whizzing come out from behind his back and, and it was all in my mouth and, and I felt my cutting on my tooth and he said he had to cut it in two to make it easier for him to pull my tooth out to extract my tooth he said was everything alright I had to close my eyes I kept on talking to the Lord and he kept walking on in and out of the doggone room I told the dental hygienist it's 3.15 I've been in here since 2 o'clock he been tugging with my tooth for an hour and 15 minutes you mean to tell me you can't pull that tooth out he said well I got to call somebody else I'm going to call Dr. Appleton I ain't never had two dentists to work on one tooth I told the hygienist he must have some special powers if he got to come in here and help me get better well when Dr. Appleton came in I kept on talking to the law and they finally were able to extract that tooth but what they don't know I called on the only dentist that I really know who has the credentials and even though I was in some pain by the time it was over I was glad to get up out of that chair because the God I serve you might be in a difficult situation it might not be your tooth it might be your head it might be your back you might have diabetes you might have MS you might have a mental problem but when you call on Jesus I know somebody know what I'm talking about he will make a way out of nowhere I wonder if I can get a witness in the house they told me when I left the dentist they gave me 800 milligrams of ibuprofen and he told me I would need some Tylenol 3 I said well if I've been with the Lord this long he gonna take care of me and so I went home I didn't fool with that Tylenol I didn't fool with that ibuprofen I just thought about it I'm coming to Zion at 7 o'clock tonight to preach an unadulterated word I want somebody they know that if you stick with the Lord, you might be in a bad situation, but the way that you can make it better is call on the name of Jesus. I wonder if I got anybody who knows how to call on the name of Jesus. He'll dispatch angels for you. He'll make a way for you. Can I get a witness? Let me tell you, just one more thing, and I'm going to have my seat. You see, they gave me some instructions. And the instructions said that you can't eat no hard candy. They said you can't spit because you needed all of the blood. I'm not trying to be nasty or nothing like that. But what I'm trying to tell you, they said... Uh, you need all the blood. And if you spit, it will cause the sutures to come loose. And I'm glad that when they put those sutures in, I got an understanding of perhaps what Jesus might have been going through when he was on Calvary's cross and the blood start growing up in my lungs and I'm glad that the lady she kept putting that thing down there, getting that blood I thought I might choke sometimes, but I'm here to tell somebody, it doesn't matter how tough it getting, the tough get tougher, it doesn't matter what you're going through, I'm here to tell somebody that the Lord is going to make a way somehow, let me tell you just one more thing, I'm going to have my seat, I promise you, but I want somebody, if you want to know how to make the best in a difficult situation. I want you to meet me at Salon. You say, well, what's at Salon? 18 men died at Salon. I keep telling you that God sometimes allows us to know there's a season when there's all kind of massacres and the Bible records 
it was there at the Tower of Siloam. You see, there's no original information to tell us about the Tower at Siloam. Perhaps the engineer, he built the tower. He used um, some shoddy materials. You got to watch the contractors you use. You can't let everybody work on your house. But the Tower of Siloam, it fell on 18 folks. And the Bible, when you read it carefully, since we don't know about the Tower of Siloam, but there was the pool of Siloam that was nearby. It was uh, a part of the fortification necessary to protect what Rome figured was theirs. But what I want to tell you tonight, at the pool of Siloam, they used to gather there. They used to have church there. And the Bible records, when you look at Leviticus chapter number 23, you ought to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, even though the massacre was taking place. Somebody got to come in the house of the Lord and give God the praise. It was a seven-day convocation. They didn't mind having church, not a one or two or three-night revival, but they had it going on every day. The Bible tells you that you ought to celebrate the Feast of Tabernacles, and on the eighth day, it ought to be called the great day. I want to invite you to meet me at Salome, right there at the tower. There was a massacre, but I'm going to come out here and give God the praise anyhow. Had it not been for the Lord, I would have been dead a long time ago, but I come out here just to give God the praise. And the Bible says you ought to celebrate that great day you want to know how you're going to do it when you stand on your feet and give God the praise because the Lord is good. You want to know how you're going to get out of your situation. The Bible says you ought to change your ways. It's not just changing your ways. You got to turn away from something and then you got to turn to God. You see, some people, they just turn away from something, but they don't turn to God. But if you just turn from our evil ways and turn to the Lord, he's going to make a way somehow. You got to learn how to give God the praise in good times. There's massacres at Sandy Hook. There's some trouble at the Pentagon. We got Nebuchadnezzar as a president. But when I think about him, the goodness of Jesus and everything he's done for me, my soul cries out, hallelujah, meet me at the pool. It's not a pool party. It's a Holy Ghost party. I wonder if there's any worshipers in the house who don't mind giving God the praise. It's the eighth day. It's the day. Can I get a witness? See, see, I want to, 